My name is Keith Beavers in Cold Soup. How do we feel about that? What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 21 of Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast Season 2. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tasting center of Vine Pair. Hi! This is it, people. Here we are. I've been mentioning it for a long time, literally since like maybe the first, well, early in the first season. Phylloxera. We are here. It's gross. Get ready. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Ian J. Gallo Winery. At Gallo, we exist to serve enjoyment in moments that matter. The hallmark of our company has always been an unwavering commitment to making quality wine and spirits. Whether it's getting barefoot and having a great time, making everyday sparkle with La Marca Prosecco, or continuing our legacy with Louis Martini in Napa. We want to welcome new friends to wine and share in all of life's moments. Interested in trying some of the wine brands discussed on Wine 101? Follow the link in each episode description to purchase featured wines or browse our full portfolio at BarrelRoom.com. Cheers and all the best. I mean, we have been building and building to this episode, haven't we, wine lovers? If you've been listening since season one, you know that... As we talk about wine, no matter where in the world we're talking about it, at some point in history, the word phylloxera comes into play. And I keep on saying I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. And here we are. Now, I'm not really sure what your threshold is to grossness, to like squeamishness. And I don't know how gross this is going to be, but it's, for me, it's gross. This is this phylloxera thing, this aphid, this louse, this bug, this destroyer of vines is kind of crazy. And the life cycle and all this, we're going to talk about all this kind of stuff. And it's a little bit gross, like aliens gross or like just, you know, any horror or sci-fi movie with some sort of like something coming out of like pus, (laughs) I don't know. It's just, just know that this is going to be a little bit nuts. Or maybe, you know, maybe it won't gross you out. Grosses me out, though. In the beginning of this podcast, we're talking like, you know, season one, I try to get across the challenges that winemakers and vine growers have when out, out there in the vineyard. Because, you know, wine, more than any other alcoholic drink, is tied to nature because and it's at the mercy of nature. And those challenges are real. You know, we talk about wind and rain. We talk about like deer and birds and fungus and bacteria, but pests and insects are some of the most annoying and absolute destructive things that can happen in a vineyard because they're very small and there's a lot of them and it's hard to get under control. So many things have been attempted, developed, tried, and innovated to help combat the pest situation in vineyards. From pesticides, like chemical pesticides, to something called biological pest control, which basically you introduce a predator 
into a pest population to control it. And just a little side note, this method was developed by a guy named C.V. Riley from Missouri. Big deal in the phylloxera story. We'll get to him. But no matter what we do, these insects, these pests will always have a presence in, our, in the vineyards around the world, no matter what, no matter where. And it depends on the climate and the region that will give that wine grower, vine grower or winemaker the challenge. What group of pests do they have to deal with? Beetles, moths, mites, leafhoppers, grasshoppers, cutworm, western grape leaf skeletonizer. Yeah, that's the name of an insect. It sounds pretty destructive. And then more innocuous, something called a ladybird bug. That could be destructive as well. And I don't know about you, but when I first was learning about wine, I started learning about the pest thing. And it's, it's, it was kind of hard for me to wrap my head around because you don't see it happening. So it's very hard to understand. So no matter whether it's a deer or if it's a fungus or if it's a bug or if it's, you know, a, a hail or a winter, a, a weather event, what, what's happening here is the, the, the thing to think about is it's just not destroying the vine like right away, but what these things do is they cut into a vine's morphology, the, the makeup of the vine, whether it's the roots or the stem or the trunk or the leaf or the grape or whatever, and it inhibits the ability of the vine to grow at a regular pace, stopping it in its tracks in certain areas. And that, in turn, creates a domino effect sometimes, and that will just spiral this vine into, you know, a, basically a death spiral or a sickness spiral. So what winemakers have to do is always make sure whatever is interfering or going into that vineyard is not destroying their crop, their money, their bottom line, their livelihood. Something as small as the delay of bud break due to an insect infection can ruin an entire vintage or some of a vintage, you know? I mean, like these little delays in the way a vine grows, which we go over in the first couple episodes of the first season, it can mess the whole thing up. And the thing is, sometimes it takes a while for our eyes, our human eyes, to notice what's going on down deep. And by the time we notice it, it might be too late. And no other pest, no other insect, bug, no other aphid has been more destructive to wine than Phylloxera vastatrix, otherwise known as Phylloxera the Destroyer. You see, Phylloxera, unlike other pests out there, attacks only the grapevine. So the fact that its entire life cycle revolves around one type of plant actually just increases its destructiveness. And the thing is, it's barely visible to the human eye, this little aphid or sap-sucking insect. That's what aphid means. The female, even though she's bright, bright yellow, is about 0.039 inches long, very small, and they are mostly on the roots of vines. And the female lumbers around the root system carrying a sack of a mass of eggs that just cling to her as she wobbles around and eats the sap from vines feeding her brood. She then injects saliva into a root or into a leaf 
that saliva in turn forms something called a gall, which is a little postule that shows up. And in there, she puts her larva. The larva then feed off that injection, that, that cut in the leaf or in the root. This happens in the spring, and throughout the summer, phylloxera can produce four to seven generations, with each generation producing a significant amount of females that are, that are capable of laying eggs. You see where this is going? Imagine like the, it's like death by a thousand cuts, if you will. All these little aphids are feeding off the root system of a vine, hundreds of them, with all these little cuts, exposing the vine to bacteria and fungi. And each of these galls, when they burst open, they burst open with the larvae that are now called crawlers. And they crawl all over the root system, eating it, feeding off the sap. And there's so many of them that they sometimes make their way up the trunk and into the actual vine itself onto the leaves. And that's when wind and humans distribute the phylloxera to other parts of the vineyard for new infections. So, you know, they're just crawling, existing, surviving, doing their thing, destroying a vine. And they, if they get up above the, the soil, the wind and humans kind of spread it around. But at least, you know, phylloxera doesn't have wings. Oh, wait. In the more humid wine-growing regions of the world, a phylloxera hatchling can become a nymph and form wings. A female nymph will then lay what's called a winter egg. I know, this is crazy. And that will develop into a stem mother who will in turn lay eggs into a gall. It just keeps on going. And the stem mother is called a fundatrix. I know these words are a little bit weird. Fundatrix, vastatrix. Well, the T-R-I-X is an old English, outdated, no longer used suffix for feminine adjectives. So you would have an actor and an actrix. Now it's just actor, actress, or just actor. So fundatrix would be the founding mother. And then vastatrix would be the female destroyer, I think. And of course, this fundatrix or stem mother will start the life cycle all over again. So you're seeing how intense this is. And what's messed up is as this is happening, we're not seeing it. Sometimes it takes a winemaker or a vine grower five vintages to see the destruction that this little aphid is doing to their crop. And in the 19th century, in France specifically, winemakers and vine growers were just watching their vineyards die in front of them and had no idea what was wrong. And you might remember from the Zinfandel episode and just, you know, a lot of the episodes about the history of wine, especially the uh, United States, you'll notice that in the 19th century, there was a lot of exchange of agriculture between Europe and the new United States. And a lot of that agriculture were vines. Vines are very important to Europe. It was a big deal to have the vine thing happening here in the United States. We've talked a lot about that. But also the Europeans were very curious about the vines that were growing in the United States. Because the United States, as we know, has their own native vines. So those vines were going over to, mostly over to uh, southern France. And in 1863, reports started coming out of southern France that a very odd, new, unknown disease was affecting the vines. A few years later, a committee was formed and an investigation was done in the Rhone Valley area of France. 
And they identified, this is where Phylloxera is finally identified. And this is where it gets the name Phylloxera Vastatrix. A study was done, a report was put out for the findings to the public. And the public basically just ignored it. They just didn't, I don't know if they, I don't think they, like, nah, it can't be that bad. I mean, they're sitting there watching some just, they're watching some stuff, some bad stuff happening in their vineyards. They don't even know what's about to happen. But like, yeah, it can't be, it can't be a bug. So they read this scientific findings and they said, you know what it is? Probably just overproduction. Or it's probably just winter, cold weather, probably just bad weather, you know? Or it could be just weakening vines due to over-vegetative production. Or maybe it's just soil exhaustion. Or it could be God's wrath at contemporary vices. This is the list of the stuff I found that was countering the science that was coming out of that report. And I don't know if it was a result of the willful ignorance of that or what, but from 1875 to 1889, French wine production fell from a peak of little under 85 million hectoliters to a little under 24 million hectoliters. And as it got worse and all the alternate theories were debunked, desperation kicked in. And the committee that was formed initially decided to offer 30,000 francs to the person that could remedy what was going on because it was starting to take over. Vine growers were literally watching their crops die in front of them and had no way of stopping it. You imagine what that must be like. It's crazy. Over a thousand treatment ideas or you know potential remedies were sent in and evaluated. Every single one was individually evaluated and they, they got really weird. Burying a live toad in the vineyard to draw out the poison. Irrigating the vines with white wine. That's just weird. And there were entries coming from all over the world, like Singapore and Denmark, and nothing worked. Even commercial attempts of flooding the vineyards didn't work. I mean, they would work for a little bit, but you had to constantly flood your vineyards. But what if you weren't near a water source? You couldn't flood your vineyards. So something, something, something had to work. A French scientist by the name of J.E. Planchon witnesses something called grafting, where you take a rootstock from one plant and you graft it onto another plant. He sees this as an opportunity to maybe combat this phylloxera thing. He brings it up at the committee, and the committee's like, yeah, that's probably not it. I don't know what's up with these guys. They, they actually, if you thought grafting was the solution for phylloxera at the time in France, you were called an Americanist because the Americans were doing a lot of grafting. Well, Planchon's like, look, I'm going to do this. And the first thing I have to do is identify the thing that's doing the thing, right? So he ends up going to the United States. He collaborates with C.V. Riley, who I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, at the University of Missouri. He is like a state entomologist, which means he studies insects. He confirms the bug that they're calling phylloxera in Europe is identical to a bug that's indigenous to the United States. And with the knowledge of this particular bug, this phylloxera, C.V. Raleigh actually suggests grafting to combat it. He comes back and reports that. Then the head of the committee that was initially formed to make to like, get this thing nipped in the bud, if you will, he goes to the United States, but he goes to Texas because now they found out what it was. They need to figure out how to graft because grafting was gaining in popularity as an idea of how to get rid of this thing. So the head of this committee, who is the guy who actually debunked all the previous attempts to get this thing under control, he goes to Texas and he collaborates with um, T.V. Munson. It's all these sort of like TV, CV, it's, it's kind of wild. But Munson was a Texan ampelographer, 
and nurseryman and breeder. He would breed plants, ampelographer. He was he 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 researched plants, and he knew all of the vitis that were native to the United States. And he guided this Frenchman through all of the vitis from the U.S., showing him the ones that were the most resistant to phylloxera. You see, phylloxera is an American aphid, and it the the American grapevines whatever species evolved with phylloxera and evolved a re, you know it created a resistance to phylloxera there are some of these vines that have you know if when the phylloxera cuts into them or injects the saliva it has another layer of skin underneath it to protect from anything because what's happening is you know all that fungus and bacteria is trying to get in but they won't allow it so if you take the rootstock of an american vine and you graft it onto a European vine, you now have a phylloxera-resistant grapevine. So I know it sounds weird, but what you're doing is you're not... The, the, the vine is going to grow a Cabernet Sauvignon. It's not going to grow some weird hybrid. Grafting does not affect the grape. It only affects the place where it's being grafted. And you take the two pieces of wood and you knock them together and you wrap them with tape, and they heal each other, and they end up morphing into each other, and that becomes one big vine. And none of this happened overnight. The grafting situation started, but it started, it was a delayed start, because phylloxera's damage doesn't show up until things get really bad, and by the time it's, you see it, it's really bad. 1873, it enters Cali. Portugal and Turkey in 1871, Switzerland in 1874, Italy 1875, Greece 1898. It takes a while, but this this thing almost destroyed the entire European wine growing industry. 85% of Europeans' vines were destroyed while trying to figure out how to to combat. Um, Phylloxera, 6.2 million acres in France alone were destroyed because of phylloxera. But grafting is is the norm now. In 1990, a study was done, and 85% of the world's vines were grafted on American rootstock. We can only imagine where it's at now. There are places like Chile where phylloxera was never a problem because Chile received European vines well before phylloxera came from the United States and made its way into Europe. Also, phylloxera does not like sandy soils. So if you have a wine region in a sandy soil area or just a a vineyard with sandy soil around more fertile area, there's a good chance you're not going to get phylloxera because of that. But that's that's not, it's not the norm. So if you hear somebody say, oh, this wine is pre-phylloxera vines, that means somewhere, wherever that wine's from in the world, phylloxera, it was never, it never ravaged that area. And there's a whole debate over pre-phylloxera versus phylloxera vines. And are, are European vines, now that they're on American rootstock, are they different? And whatever, doesn't matter, guys. We're here to enjoy wine. And so that debate is like, fine. If you want to debate whether... Wine is different now or then, okay, but we're drinking wine now in 2021 and we want to enjoy it, am I right? So that's the lowdown on phylloxera. And just so you know, it's not gone. Phylloxera is still around. This remedy is just that. It's a remedy to combat phylloxera, not to get rid of phylloxera. 
So that's just, that's also really intense. And I just, I just hope that this episode gave you a little kind of a, I don't know, an inkling into how much of a challenge it is for winemakers to do what they do. And we talked a lot about that in the first couple episodes of the first season, but Phylloxera was a big one. And there's a lot of them out there, but this was the big international global effort to fix the wine industry that was so damaged. And interestingly enough, I'm going to say this right now, and I'm not really sure how it's going to land, but if you notice when we talk about the history of wine, especially in Europe, the 1980s is usually the decade where things start to turn around for wine-growing regions that come out of the past and into the future. And, I, and Phylloxera was a big part of that. Phylloxera devastated so many vineyards in Europe that it took years for these countries to get back on track. And even in the New World, like in New Zealand, we talked about the New Zealand stuff, where they were just like, they just went ahead and planted hybrids. So, and then in the 1980s, everything kind of just started to, I don't know, change a little bit. But that's how much of an impact this bug had on the wine industry. Okay, now you know phylloxera. Hopefully it didn't gross you out too much. Let's talk next week. What do you say? Vine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Ian J. Gallo Winery. At Gallo, we exist to serve enjoyment in moments that matter. The hallmark of our company has always been an unwavering commitment to making quality wine experience. Whether it's getting barefoot and having a great time, making every day sparkle with La Marca Prosecco, or continuing our legacy with Louis Martini and Napa. We want to welcome new friends to wine and share in all of life's moments. Interested in trying some of the wine brands discussed on Wine 101? 